With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 113th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website so you will be notified as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my listeners everywhere in the world. I sincerely appreciate you in all of the now 78-plus countries where you are located. Thank you for sending all your messages. Please keep them coming. My July Privacy Professor Tips message was published at the end of June. Sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com or privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. They are free, as they have always been since 2005. The EU General Data Protection Regulation, which is usually referenced as GDPR for short, went into effect on May 25, 2018. Gosh, it's been five years now since it went into effect. The time really flew by. What have been the impacts to organizations who must comply with this huge regulation? What have been the penalties applied? And for what specific non-compliance issues have been they've been com- um, applied to those organizations? You know, it's been a really long time since I've covered GDPR on the show. And I want to know the answers to these questions. And, of course, other questions as well. I'm so curious to know some statistics about the impacts of GDPR and about the EU countries that have been most active in pursuing compliance penalties the associated compliance infractions, and and so much more. I want to speak with someone who has done research in these details who can provide us with an update. And I know the perfect person whose GDPR statistics that she has published and I have found to be quite enlightening and really helpful to organizations to understand better what each of the EU country data protection authorities are targeting for noncompliance fines and other penalties. Now, she recently released a publication with the title GDPR Non-Material Damage that analyzed 82 cases of fines and penalties 
for GDPR noncompliance between 2018 through 2022. I'm really thrilled to once more have as my guest today, Tara Tobman Basirian, a noted award-winning international privacy expert and lawyer. Tara is a French lawyer based in the UK who has studied private law at the prestigious Paris University Pantheon Assis before specializing in computer and communication law at Queen Mary University of London. Tara is very active in raising awareness of GDPR and advising businesses on the compliance requirements. Tara actively publishes on her website and on LinkedIn. See so much more about Tara in her bio on my data security and privacy show page on the Voice America website. Tara, thank you so much for being my guest again today. Welcome to my show. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Always a pleasure to be at your show and uh, talking about what uh, we like the most. Yes, well, <laughs> definitely. Well, it certainly has been a hot topic uh, for the past five years. And I, I can't believe that those five years already went by so quickly when it first went into effect. But um, it certainly seems like I'm always seeing in the news about some European Union country that's bringing some sort of finer penalty. So, you know, do you know how many total GDPR penalties and fines that there have been to date? Um, by looking at the uh, GDPR Hub website, which is a website held by the nonprofit None of Your Business, they have counted 1,915 decisions by European Data Protection Authorities, which is quite a lot. Yeah, that is. So, you know, how which country... Uh, do you know which country has had the most fines and penalties that they've applied under GDPR? Um, the record goes to the Spanish GPA. Mm -hmm. They are the one who have been the most active in um, uh, looking at cases and fining. However, the Spanish GPA has mostly looked after smaller cases. So they don't have big fines. The numbers are small, but the numbers of cases they have fined are higher than all the others. Well, that's interesting. So when you say that the fines and penalties have been small, does that also apply to the size of the organizations? That like, Are they going after primarily smaller organizations and entities, or have those small fines also been applied to, like, really huge corporations? Um, they do like uh, telephone companies. That's one of their big clients. Uh, they also go after very smaller um, SMEs, companies. Um, not sure SME is the wording that you would be familiar to. It's um, a small and medium enterprise, or we, we call them SMEs. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of smaller ones. Okay. Well, that's interesting because I've seen a lot of, you know, in the news of, um, yeah, like news Google mostly talk and, with bigger ones. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those has been really huge. So, um, have there been any countries where they haven't applied any fines or penalties at all? 
No, everyone had at least. I think the minimum um, was three finding by one country. Some countries were a bit more reluctant. Some were a bit slower to adapt their legislation with the new GDPR. But uh, at this point, everybody is now applying. Okay. So, I mean, what do you think is like some of the motivation behind the different countries for when they do apply it. Like it it intrigues me a lot about like Spain primarily going after small amounts, you know, fines and penalties, but yet then there's others that are going after multi-million dollar fines and penalties. Um, What triggers um, DPA, which is standing for Data Protection Authority, uh, they can decide by themselves to go and investigate the case, but quite often they have started to investigate following a complaint. So many of the complaints have come, the big ones have come from a non-profit uh, organization, such as None of Your Business, uh, NOYB, or Previous International, or in France, like What Are Your Net. The other um, criteria is where the company is based. Mm. Many of the big U.S. corporations are based in uh, Ireland. So the Irish Data Protection Authority is the one that is um, uh, the authority that should follow complaints. There is a principle in the GDPR that is called the one-stop shop. Mm which means that if uh, Facebook is, of a meta today, previously Facebook is based in Ireland, therefore the um, Irish GDPA DPA is the competent authority. Okay. Before that, we have seen the French CNIL finding Google, although Google is also based in Ireland. Then the second criteria that the CNIL has used is the decision on the processing of the personal data is not being taken within Google Island, but Google US. Mm. Therefore, any data protection authority would be compliant to investigate the case. Interesting. Well, what is the largest? Because you... You know, you mentioned Meta and Google. Those are huge, rich organizations. What What is the largest GDPR fine or penalty to date? And was it applied to either of those or was it applied to a completely different entity? It, it was actually a very recent fine by the Irish DPA against Meta, which was dismay. And that was um, 1.2 billion euros which is one billion pound, um, not very far from one million dollars. Maybe to compare with the U.S. FTC fines is not that big. For Europe standard, it's very big. Now, when you talk about fines and penalties, so the fines are the actual, you know, monetary, the monetary, but there's other penalties that are applied along with those monetary fines, correct? Um, Yes. The authority can ask um, some remediation within, they they, they would be given a few months to rectify what is not compliant. They could 
but that's kind of theoretical. They could be asked to delete the data that has been unlawfully collected. In order to, co to process personal data, the company has kind of five uh, criteria to choose between that defines the reason why they are allowed to process the data. In the case of Meta, they have switched, they first based their processing on the, the consent. So they will ask the user the consent and therefore they could um, process the data. That was the original case against um, uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And the consent has to follow some criteria. It has to be unambiguous, clear, free. And therefore what Meta was doing was not corresponding with the standard of what is required from consent. So Meta switched from consent to another lawful cases. And they choose contract. They said that they are processing data based on the contract they have with their user. This is one of the uh, lawful criteria on the GDPR, the necessity for the execution of the contract. But there is no real contract between the user and Facebook. Yeah. And collecting that much amount of data is not necessary for the execution of any contract that would be between user and, and Facebook. So the European Court of Justice said, no, this is not good. Go and find another um, lawful base. Well, that's interesting. So it sounds like the pri is that like the primary reason for that uh, fine or penalty for that? The article that has to do with obtaining consent, is that what they were violating or were they violating other um, articles under GDPR as well? Well, they, they are they, they are different um, bases. The same company has been fined based on different reasons. For example, Google has been fined the same day uh, by uh, the French CNIL, which is the French Data Protection Authority, uh, one Google uh, France and one Google uh, US, for the way that they collect um, the cookie banner consent. Mm. The French clean has been very um, uh, pushing the fact that accepting or rejecting consent should be as easy. So you shouldn't have to go deeper layer to reject the consent. You should have two buttons, exactly same position, maybe one red and one green, but the reject and accept should be as easy one than another. So Google has been fined by the French authority based on that. Mm. But remember what I've said, Google is based in, in Ireland, so it should be the Irish DPA. Mm -hmm. But in that case, cookies are a bit more complex. Cookies are regulated by the uh, e-privacy directive. But the standard of consent for a cookie uh, collection to be valid is based on the GDPR. Oh, interesting. Based on that... Any data protection authority in Europe can investigate the compliance of a cookie. Hmm. So any European country, they don't have to be a part of the EU then? Uh, well, all, or the e all the EU com countries are part of GDPR, apart from the UK, who decided following the Brexit to come out of um, the EU and the GDPR. 
the UK has a has a bit of a hypocritical situation currently mm-hmm. um, because there are so much um, connection between UK and the rest of the Europe. There has been an agreement between Europe and the UK, which gives UK um, adequacy. Ah, well, that makes sense. So that, the, the, the basis behind the EU and the GDPR is the free movement of data within the EU. Mm-hmm. So all European countries have adopted GDPR and therefore they are bound by same level of protection for the personal data. The second layer says that if the data is exported outside the EU, the country of import should uh, give the same level of protection to the personal data as the EU. Mm-hmm. This is where Google and uh, Meta get fined ah. because the US is currently not considered a country of adequate data protection. Mm-hmm. Therefore, uh, the European Court of Justice has invalidated the um, privacy shield, which was the adequacy decision between EU and US based on the NSA Snowden revelation. So data should not go without any supplementary protection measures outside the EU to the US. And that was why the last big fine of the Irish DPA fined Meta. It was because they violated so many of the articles then. It sounds... I see. That makes sense then. Because remind our our listeners and me, you know, there's a lot of articles under GDPR. I don't know if you know. 99. 99. 99. (laughs) Yes. So so that's a lot of, I mean, that's even more than most, uh, well, a lot of our regulations in the U.S. that are industry specific. But um, (laughs) yeah, that's the way that the U.S. regulation is based. And this is what EU considered as a non-adequate data protection, you don't have a blanket regulation and you don't have a a central authority. Yeah. Europe has the the European Data Protection Board, which Mm -hmm. represents all the national authorities that sit together and it's under the umbrella of the European Data Protection Supervisory. And the theory is the GDPR, which is a regulation that applies harmoniously in all EU EU countries, would apply exactly the same way to everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's more about the personal data and individuals' rights to that personal data, correct? Not, it's not about just an end, the healthcare or the education or or whatever sector. Um, but under those 99 articles, is there any, it sounds like they've all been cited then probably for non-compliance. I'm, I'm curious if you think that there's any like GDPR articles that maybe need to be uh, a, fines being applied under that haven't been Applied yet? The, the, the last part of the GDPR concerns the authorities and the way that they will interact and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, the chapter five is what regulates the transfer of data outside the EU. 
Mm. Um, the beginning is the territorial competence, um, uh, material competence, uh, the principle. Uh, the principle are often cited in either court decision or data protection authorities decision. And they are very important. I find that they are the really the basic common sense of dealing securely and safety with personal data. It says things like data minimization, don't collect more than you need. That's my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it it spares you from lots of problems. Yeah. Um, including security, which today is so high in, in, in the agenda and news. Mm-hmm. Um, it says uh, don't keep the data longer than necessary. Oh, my uh, gosh. I mean, I'm sorry for interrupting you on that, but that's something my entire career. I do not know a single organization that does not keep data too long. I mean, it's like once they collect it, it's it's going to exist somewhere on their storage media in a backup, in an archive, or even in their, you know, production database. So I don't know if you see that as well. But uh, that, that's what I call the Google hype. I think since storage became cheap or, or, or even sometimes free, mm-hmm. people started to collect and they will see what they can do with it later. Yes. Uh, and, and that is a big mistake. One is that the data is inaccurate. That's one, another of the principles of GDPR. You should not keep data inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Which means that you need to, if, 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 for example, you've got my name and, and date of birth, but my address has changed, you are liable to rectify with my correct address. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in terms of marketing, what does it work if, if the data you have is large but inaccurate? It doesn't work anything. It's actually messed up all your figures and statistics because it's inaccurate. And that was a problem with the, um, you might have heard or your listeners might have heard about um, the Italian Data Protection Authority that started to investigate um, ChatGPT. One of the issues with ChatGPT and the misinformation that it produced in its output is the data is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why the Italian DPA sent uh, OpenAI behind ChatGPT to go and find a way to rectify the data. Sadly, it's impossible with the LLMs, but Mm -hmm. that's a different story. So this is one of the um, things. And what I would be interested is when the um, GDPR came out in 2018 and lots of privacy policies and privacy notices came out, they started eventually to think about data retention period and and thinking how long they actually needed to keep the data. Mm -hmm. I am not sure how many companies five years later have actually gone to check if they have respected their own retention periods. Mm. And this is where we are going to see fine and cases coming out for companies that have retained longer than necessary. There's one case that just was published yesterday. The French uh, data protection authority, CNIL, find a clairvoyance company. And I, want to, I don't know exactly how you call that in English. One of these companies where people pay um, to have someone to read in their future and tell them what 
what's going to happen to them. Yes, yes, clairvoyance, yes. Well, they were so clairvoyant that they didn't see the knell coming and finding them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, my goodness, how ironic, right? <laughs> In order to remember what they've said to whom, they were actually recording all their phone conversations with their clients. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and that included all the financial information for payments. Oh, oh my. And they had gone over their own retention period because they they they, they needed to remember the lies they have built up. <laughs> oh my. So they, they were they were keeping everything for far longer than necessary. They were 530,000 I think uh, euros, which is very mild comparing to and and in that case they were operating in different countries. Belgium, Romania, Spain, and I can't remember which other one. And the French CNIL was the um, one-stop shop data protection authority that was leading that. Oh, wow. That sounds like such an interesting case. So for our listeners who all know that we uh, we pre-record our shows, that date it would have come out yesterday would have been June 15, correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah, if people want to look that up, look under June 15, 2023, and you'll, <laughs> you'll see it there. Well, the French CNIL is, is one of the better respected ones. They have been very active, um, especially on producing guidance, mm-hmm. uh, French being in, fr- in French. But they also took the, the effort of publishing a lot of documents in English. But if you look at the statistic of the number of uh, active, um, to come back to your question, on the active DPAs, uh, French doesn't come within the five first ones uh, because they haven't been that active recently. But they had the big ones. They had the, the CNIL, the, and these ones take a lot of time. The, the Irish uh, Data Protection Authority uh, decision is 222 pages. Oh, wow. Oh, my. A disclaimer, I still haven't finished to read it. <laughs> oh, well, let's let's pick this up. We, we actually are coming down uh, to a break to hear from our sponsors. So we'll, when we come back, we'll pick up there with that 222-page uh, <laughs> decision. <laughs> but, but right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today, I'm discussing privacy and GDPR compliance and penalties with an expert in these areas. Tara Tobman Basirian. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my privacysecuritybrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit 
privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, I'm discussing privacy and GDR compliance and penalties with an expert in these areas, Tara Tobin Basirian. Tara, so when we went to break, you were talking about this humongous Irish decision <laughs> that was like 222 pages. So, you know, can you kind of um, let us know what that was about before we continue on with our discussion? Or the story of the Irish DPC, Facebook, and none of your business and nonprofit association is a long saga. Mm-hmm. Um, it started by invalidating the initial uh, safe harbor agreement between transfer of data between EU and the US. Uh, they came out with the privacy shield, and none of your business again uh, attacked the uh, agreement. Uh, as I've mentioned, what is criticized is the fact that the U.S. doesn't have a blanket um, legislation on data protection. There is no um, national authority. And above all, there is no um, there, there is a discrimination against the non-U.S. Uh, residents. So if um, an EU resident has his data misused by a U.S. company, the EU citizen cannot go to court and they don't have a right of judicial review. It's a very long story, so I try to make it short, but it was replaced by um, when the European Court of Justice invalidated the privacy shield, they said, what we, we don't touch the standard conflict clauses, which are individual contracts between uh, for example, Facebook and users. Um, but that was not enough. And I was one that keeps saying to everyone, this is not enough because this is not replacing anyone. Anyway, the uh, issue of judicial review. So that is what came back to the Irish DPC recently. The Irish DPC was reluctant to actually fully investigate and find the uh, Facebook meta. It had to go back to the European Data Protection Board because other 
authorities complained against the inactivity of the Irish and the law fines that was based. So there was a binding decision taken by the European Data Protection Board, came back to the Irish, and then the Irish had to say, okay, I'm following the European Good of Justice decision. And due to all these reasons, uh, including the fact that um, there is no judicial review, standard contact clauses of Facebook is not valid. I hope this was clear because it's a long story with lots of legs. Yes, no, that kind of makes sense because it sounds like then uh, because there was no what's considered to be, you know, the acceptable um, regulation in the U.S. It sounds like they went through and just detailed everything then that filled up 222 pages. Uh, yeah. What is interesting is, is the way that the DPC explained how they have been bombarded by arguments and writing and documents by Facebook. And this is where they are small country, a data protection authority that keeps complaining of lack of resource and budget. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, they have the big Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They have the big lawyers. They have, they are bully. They, you know, they they are Facebook. Um, So it's a bit of a, the battle of the small uh, against the, uh, the big one with lots of what I haven't been able to find is actually how many of the fines that been, initiated have been paid oh yeah that's one statistic i'm crying and asking from everyone and i haven't seen it what i know is most of these big decisions are appealed yes amazon was appealed whatsapp had appealed i think facebook has already said that they were appealed i don't know if it's been done or not but then it's more and more costs for the authorities yeah i mean i will love to see that um research when you've when, when you get that information from some of those, because that is, that's a very good point. You can make the largest penalties and fines possible, but yet what if they're never paid? Then what, ha- you know, was there even a, a penalty that existed if you, uh, you apply it and it never gets paid? Yeah. We don't know how much has been actually recovered. And- there is a historic story between France and YouTube um, France condemned YouTube of uh, fines, but uh, YouTube France um, complied, but YouTube U- US said, we don't care about you, we, you don't have jurisdiction. Uh, the GDPR not more clearly gives jurisdiction to the EU data protection authority, but it's still, uh, I'm still waiting to see how much they have actually paid. Still waiting, absolutely. Well, I know smaller companies have paid. I know smaller companies have uh, published uh, crying letters saying, uh, you made us bankrupt. Oh. Uh, but well, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were given two years before the GDPR enters into uh, effect. And actually, I was listening um, a uh, conference the other day and with statistic, nothing actually happened during these two years. They all waited the deadline to start to think that they they might look at their compliance. Yes. Yeah. Everybody wants to wait until they feel like they actually have to do what the law says. So, um, well, talking about, you know, 
the the penalties and we, we've been talking a lot about the actual monetary penalties but what about the actions required what what would you say are the most common five three to five or however many you think have been common uh, penalties given it against the entities beyond the monetary fines. Uh, what is in the hands of state protection authorities? I already mentioned um, they could be an injunction to delete, injunction to go and find a new um, lawful base of data protection, uh, going to secure data. Uh, the French CNIL started really well, in my opinion, because they went to look at what the company was doing wrongly. They work with them often during a few months, trying to help them to be compliant. And if they hadn't done their job, then they would get fined. Mm -hmm. The problem with fined is for the big one like Facebook and Google, it's a tickle. Mm. Uh, for the small ones, uh, it can hurt them badly. And for the public sector, it's actually the user who has been already harmed by the non-compliance that is going to pay again for the public sector to pay the fine. Mm. Um, I they, that, that's one probably one the area where GDPR could give a bit more modulation of what could be asked. Maybe. Uh, looking if they could um, improve the training of the staff. This is one major issue. Quite mm. often, staffs are not well trained to handle the data um, yeah. properly. Um, not having um, update uh, inf uh, IT infrastructure is another problem. Mm -hmm. There are companies been fined because they have not patched. They, they knew there was a security hole and they hadn't patched. Um, there are companies that don't do encryption properly. They uh, held data longer than necessary. So th they can be asked to modify the, the way that things are handled. So, but next to the find and what the data protection authorities can do, mm -hmm. there is uh, often, and this is different in each e European country, they can uh, um, introduce their own legislation. They are criminal offense. For example, France has a criminal offense if the uh, company had not complied with its ob obligation of keeping data securely. Oh, so that is an existing law right now? Yes. So have there been many, and I, you know, I don't know if you have this off the top of your head, but have there been any criminal? Uh, sadly, no. So I haven't found any. Um, the, there's one case with the ICO, the UK International Commissioner of um, Information Commissioner Office. Sorry, uh, they have found a law firm that was not handling the data properly. Um, they were retaining longer than necessary. They were not encrypting, and the database were not security safe. All these things. It could have gone into criminal. But uh, in my knowledge, it hasn't. What is left is for the data subject who consider that they have uh, suffered a harm by yes. the non-compliance. Mm -hmm. This is the Article 82 uh, GDPR that I have, I'm trying to follow 
in different countries because there's still a lot of uncertainties around the criteria of what is called the non-material damage. Mm-hmm. You are a an individual. For example, the best example, I think, is when the company got a data breach. Mm-hmm. It could be a, te- a technical data breach, a cyber attack, or a ransomware. Data is published online. Uh, we know there are cyber criminals out there. We know there are um, the dark web where the data is monetized and sold. Mm-hmm. So the, all these represent a risk for the data subject. Mm-hmm. And it's reasonable, and this is what's been introduced in the GDPR, that there would be a compensation for the non-material damage risk. The non-material is translated because GDPR obviously is translated in different European languages, mm-hmm. which is sometimes tricky because the legal system are different and the vocabulary sometimes is not exactly the same in different languages. Mm-hmm. In Europe, we have the moral damage, oh, which is something we've got in copyright, for example. Okay. If you are an artist and a Nazi use your art, you can claim moral damage because you would not your name and your art being associated with these use. The um, eight, Article 82, it's somehow close to that. Because once a data breach happens, the data subject cannot always bring the proof of the misuse of his data. Right. And it sometimes, it quite often take some time before the data is misused. The breach happens on day X. It goes through some circus, it's been sold, and then eventually it comes in the hand of someone that would misuse it and you will be victim of a um, identity fraud or something else. Mm-hmm. But the subject itself, it's always hard for them to know what's going on and what's being done with the data. So there is a liability created for the one who is the controller of the data to keep it safe and secure. If they hadn't done so, the data subject can claim they have lost control over the data or they have distress. The distress being caused by the stress that they feel because they don't know what's being done with the data. Ah, interesting. These are concepts that are still not fixed completely. Several national data protection authorities have asked the European Court of Justice to clarify exactly the criteria of what would be a non-material damage. Sadly, the latest decision of the European Court of Justice decision actually sent back the ball and said, it's up to the uh, National Data Protection Authority to uh, determine the criteria. There was a big case in the UK at the time where UK was part of the EU. Um, It was someone called Lloyd, who, um, not the Lloyd um, insurance company. They sued Google and there was a class action against Google for the mishandling of the data. Mm-hmm. It went up to the highest court, and sadly, um, the highest court had the Google had 
the good lawyers and the class action lawyer maybe did not defend his case as strongly as he should. But in that case, they said, based on the fact that the member of the class action have not suffered all the same level of harm, they could not be a class action. You you are more used with class action in the U.S. I -hmm. personally find it quite difficult to see a class action where all members had suffered exactly the same level of harm. Because what one of the arguments was that if you suffered from mental illness, you would not have the same perception of the harm caused by the data breach and the misuse of your data than an adult who is aware. Right. Yeah, I think it's kind of a aggregate, you know, it's all kind of combined to say on average, this is the harms that have generally been applied to everyone, you know, the harms that have been uh, realized by those who fall under a class action. Measuring measuring the damage is 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 a difficult thing when yes. it's non-material. Yes. In my opinion, they could just simply go to the fact that the data controller has a duty uh, to take the appropriate measure of security. The criteria for appropriate measure of security is the state of the art, the cost of implementation, put in a balance with the sensitivity of the data. So if the data has been breached, is sensitive, and the negligence is higher, you should get a higher compensation. So a duty, you're talking about basing it this more is, on their duty of care that they yes. did not apply, as yes. opposed to harm that actually is provable, correct? Because it sounds like you're saying you would have to also prove the harm that the individuals had. The, the the harm would be the loss of control and the dis- distress caused by the, the the loss of the the control over your data. The actual harm of saying what has been done, if for example you were subject to a um, ID fraud, this part is difficult because mm-hmm. sometimes you don't realize it straight away. It, it can take years before that. But the only fact that the, the person who was in control of handling your personal data did not comply with his GDPR compliance of taking the appropriate security measures and depending on the level of sensitivity of your data and the cost of taking the, these measures, you should be compensated if this hasn't been done. Yes. Well, you know, that kind of leads me to my next question because we're talking about how hard it is to determine these things consistently across all the people who would be involved. But talking, kind of relating that back to GDPR and all of those 99 articles, do you expect that there's going to be any changes made in GDPR in this year or next maybe to kind of address some of these issues that are being discovered as being kind of hard to enforce or to interpret? There was a report and discussions on should the GDPR be reformed or not. I'm glad they concluded no, because we are still working on defining all these um, concepts. It's mostly common sense, and I think it mostly works well. 
you need to know now you 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 are united states with different states and it's been difficult to find one us uh, blanket regulation mm-hmm. the gdpr is applied within 27 today sovereign uh, countries mm-hmm. that agree to something that mostly should apply harmoniously and the same way throughout all these countries so it's it's a difficult one yeah going and starting again to try to modify and reform it at this stage i don't think it's the right thing to do and thankfully they've decided they won't do it okay there are aspects that needs to be changed um well the language model and the ai uh generative Uh ai is changing a lot the perspective um We've heard Sam Altman from the OpenAI calling for um, regulation for AI. A lot of the AI regulation could be regulated by the GDPR. I've mentioned earlier there's this the question of the adequacy of the personal data, um, which is difficult for AI, how they can cope with that. Is a GDPR that should modify this or is that the AI that should modify I think it's more a problem of AI that if if they handle personal data, they should handle it accurately. I was given two PhDs. Uh, thank you very much uh, to open eyes. Sadly, I don't have any PhD. Uh, other people have been actually defamed and because of um, uh, chat GPT hallucinations. Yes. So GDPR, it says, no, you can't do that. And the other problem that GDPR has with AI is that rights uh, of data subject to ask the rectification or erasure of their data. That technically is impossible for um, AI. So again, I think it's more the AI problem to solve this than the GDPR to adapt that. We are um, being bombarded by regulation currently. I, I personally have really great trouble to follow everything and to read between reading all the decision or the new regulation, it, it's it's a big challenge. But we have we are having the Digital Market Act and Digital Services Act and the Artificial Intelligence Act that just passed the Parliament yesterday, uh-huh. very recently. So these are also complementing the GDPR. I think we we've got enough on our plate to yeah. play with. Um, yeah, hopefully, gradually progressively companies will start to realize why the GDPR is not that bad for everyone. Yes. Well, you know, we're already coming down to the end of our hour, but what, with all of the, that we've covered and we've covered a lot, but we also didn't cover a lot because GDPR is so (laughs) huge, but uh, what is the primary takeaway that you want to leave with our listeners today? Uh, What I like to take to tell everyone is GDPR is not a burden. It's absolute necessity, especially now that we see such an increase of cyber attacks and ransomware. You should not expect any company to be 100% compliant. What is important is to follow the main principle behind the GDPR. I'm hoping to see more cases in courts Um, with the Article 82 that I've mentioned, civil liability, that hopefully would also be a good reminder for companies why it's important to care about the data they are handling. 
these are many uh, security um, points, patching security holes, uh, updating, encrypting. These are all common sense that are absolute necessity. Wonderful. Well, that is a great reminder, and I'm so glad that you you point that out, too. It really highlights how in order to realize privacy protections, you have to implement strong security controls. So thank you so much for being my guest today, Tara. I really enjoy speaking with you about this topic. You know so much about so many things. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Today, I've been discussing privacy and GDPR compliance and penalties with an expert in these areas, Tara Tobin Basirian. I hope you found the information interesting and or useful, and I hope you found that uh, you will be able to apply it sometime. I'm sure you will, whether or not you realize it at this point. Um, Do you have additional questions you'd like to hear me or perhaps a guest on my show answer? Send them in. I love getting your questions. Just uh, send them to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you can't make our scheduled debut show each month, you can always listen to all of my recordings on demand. So all you have to do is just go out to the website and you can find them there on my Privacy Security Brainiac site. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them and uh, make sure they know what their compliance requirements are, such as GDPR. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.